I'm Simone Schultz, Managing Editor of Design Anthology. Today's podcast was recorded in front of a live audience during the Hong Kong Issue Talks, a recent event we hosted at the Lusfit Lounge to celebrate the Hong Kong Issue of Design Anthology. Today, I'm joined by designers Andre Fu, Wilson Lee of Studio Adjective, and Vince Lim and Elaine Liu of Lim and Liu, all of whom we've had the pleasure of working with over the years. This talk centered on designing in Hong Kong, a mediator of identities and a hub for cultural convergence, a topic inspired by the issue's opening essay written by M Plus design and architecture curator, Shirley Surya. joined here today by some of the city's foremost designers. Uh, Wilson Lee's Studio Studio Adjective is um, featured in our studio culture uh, section of the magazine of the Hong Kong issue. It's Andre Fu's home that's on the front cover. And um, Elaine and Vince of Lim and Lou are in Sharon Lisa's survey of Hong Kong designers. So when you go home and flip through your Hong Kong issue after today, look out for them. Um, so before we begin, I think it would be great if each of you could introduce yourselves to our audience and just tell us a bit about what you're doing at the moment. So hi everybody, I'm Wilson. So um, I actually co-founded uh, Studio Adjective with my wife actually, Emily. So um, I'm born in Hong Kong, raised in Hong Kong, educated in Hong Kong and work in Hong Kong. So I guess it's all about Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, hi, uh, I'm Andre. Andre Fu. Uh, I, I was born in Hong Kong too. Um, I have been, I have been in, um, in in business, I'd say, in Hong Kong for probably around 17 years. I've been very lucky. This city has been wonderful to me. So I have had the opportunity to create four hotels in Hong Kong, including the Upper House. Uh, St. Regis, uh, Kerry Hotel, one of the favorite quarantine hotels I've heard, <laughs> and, um, and K-11 Artists, um, and then some food and beverage projects such as Louise um, Salestera, which was uh, unveiled earlier this year, and most recently Astro uh, in Dadao Street. Um, and, um, and I have my own um, lifestyle brand called Andre for Living, and we shall be unveiling uh, our first uh, standalone shop at Pacific Place. Uh, it will be next to Amas on level three next week. So hopefully, if you guys happen to be in the hood, um, to do pop by. Hi, I'm Elaine, Elaine Liu. Um, I was not born in Hong Kong. I was born in China and raised in the US. Um, I moved to Hong Kong with my husband, Vince Lim, and uh, we're co-founders of uh, Studio Lim and Liu. Um, we focus mainly on uh, interior design and product design. And I am Vince Lim of Lim and Liu. <laughs> um, I was actually born in Hong Kong, so, um, but also educated in the West, um, in the US, and that's where Elena and I met. So I am very much, I think, the epitome of East meets West, um, born here, raised here and then educated in the West, and then actually returning back to my roots to start up our design practice. Um, our design practice 
focuses on interiors, but not necessarily pigeon, pigeoning whole ourselves in any specific typology or style. I think our passion lies within creating spaces that resonate with people, regardless of the style itself. And I think a lot of that comes from maybe our education and being trained as architects. We're more interested in the spatial quality of things, uh, whether it's spaces or even spatial quality within a product or a furniture piece. Thank you and welcome. Let's begin. So everyone, we met Shirley Surya just now, you guys wouldn't have, but uh, she's M Plus's architecture and design curator, and she wrote the opening essay for the Hong Kong issue. We always like to open our special issues with an essay that sets the kind of framework and the context um, for the rest of the issue. And for this one, we sought out Shirley for her expertise um, on the history of design and architecture in Hong Kong. It was Shirley's essay that inspired this conversation. One of the points she makes is about Hong Kong as a hub for um, and a mediator of identities and cultures. And I thought that that was a good jumping off point for this conversation. In her essay, she says that recent events in the city and beyond have prompted her to reflect on which of the characteristics, those that have allowed design and art to thrive, will remain unchanged in Hong Kong. So I want to talk today about some of those characteristics and how they've allowed you as designers to thrive and your practice to expand. Um, I know it feels strange to talk about Hong Kong as a hub when none of us have seen the inside of an airport for a very long time, but for now we do still talk about Hong Kong as an international hub. Um, so I want to start by asking how have each of you benefited from Hong Kong's location in the world, uh, its centrality and its cultural plurality? Elaine? Yeah, please start us off. Okay, um, I think Hong Kong's cultural plurality resonates with many of us um, who were born Chinese, with Chinese backgrounds, and um, educated in the West. So in a sense, I guess our identity is East meets West. Um, and you know, I think that gives us an ad advantage because we can work on projects in the East as well as the West. Like we can work with local developers on Chinese projects as well as overseas projects. I think when we talk about kind of Hong Kong as, as a cultural hub, I think it really is, I think, like I said, the epitome of I think East meets West because due to our rich cultural history of being colonized by the British for 100 years and then handed over back um, to Hong Kong, to China. I think that created a lot of nuances and intricacies um, that is very deeply rooted in, I think, the design vocabulary and language. Um, and I think for us as our studio primarily, I think draws inspirations from the surroundings and kind of everyday scenographies. So to us, I think Hong Kong has so much richness to that, um, that I think that's how we personally benefit from it, I think. I guess I also uh, see myself as, as, uh, as, as a typical Hong Kong person in the context that, especially in the past year, I'm not allowed to travel, but, but um, I've spoken about it recently with, with the media. Um, I'd say that uh, I, I do live in, the, in this kind of cross-cultural um, kind of world because despite the fact that I'm not traveling, but um, I'd say my typical day would kind of span between multiple cities. 
I might start the day with a project in Taipei, and then it goes into a project in LA, and then and then um, and then Shenzhen, and then Osaka. Um, be it video conferences or just looking at projects that some of my team is working on. And, and it's not just about designing, it's also about when you communicate with the client, you have to think about how they behave, how they think. The Japanese approach to project very differently to, let's say, the Thais. Um, you know, the, the Thai client that I have are, are slightly, um, they, 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 they have, they're very organic, they, they love to listen, they love to talk. Uh, whereas my Japanese client are very, very meticulous with their documentation, um, the way they, they write about things, they, the, the, way, the way they, they love the, the more kind of um, systematic approach to, to, to work. And because of all that, um, what I'm trying to express is I have to have a very diverse uh, personality in a way because I have to naturally, not, not consciously, but very subconsciously adjust myself um, to accommodate all these cultural differences. I'm not talking about design, I'm just talking about my behavior um, to work um, with all these people. And I think that's the beauty of what Hong Kong um, uh, you know, brings to me. Uh, because we are, we are in this kind of juxtaposition of many different things, and that cultivates the person that we are, and we're able to respond and relate and create um, for all these different things. And, and I think that's kind of the joy of, of, of where I am right now. Yeah, I'm so agree with um, Andre and also yeah, what you guys just said. Actually, I'm I'm very proud of I'm being in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is actually uh, a very interesting place. It's so small, but there are so many happenings. And actually, when when you talk about um, what is Hong Kong style, um, for me maybe I I can't use words to ex express what is Hong Kong style. But I, s I saw that um, the world is quite interested in this place. There, are, there is a lot of happenings recently, and that draws a lot of attentions. And then when, when, when I was talking to a media from UK um, last month, he asked me, do you know Mirrors, the, the music band in Hong Kong? He said, um, the media in UK, they want to write a story about Mirror. So, why they become so popular and successful. So I'm thinking, wow, you, you are going to write a story about Mirror in your magazine. That's a really huge international magazine. So I'm thinking, Hong Kong such a small place, but drawing so much attention. So I'm also thinking in this talk, maybe we can also explore how Hong Kong design can affect something to deliver something to the world. Yeah, so that would be very exciting. That's very true, this idea of Hong Kong's small but mighty. Um, so I guess then, what does Hong Kong's location, small as it might be in, in, you know, geographically, what does Hong Kong's location as a gateway to China mean for creatives like yourselves? How does that uh, affect or play out in your, in your work and your practice? I think back in, 
actually came back to Hong Kong via China. Uh, my one of my first few projects were in Shanghai, back in 2003 when when Xing Tandi um, just started. Um, but somehow <laughs> I haven't done any projects in China for probably around 15 years. Um, Brian is whinging because I've declined. <laughs> I have de been declining every <laughs> every opportunity. Um, uh, subconsciously because I want to focus on Asia. Uh, but in the past uh, two years, I've started to explore um, to, do, to do work in China. So lately, I've been working in Beijing and Shenzhen and Chengdu um, at the same time. Um, I, I think it's hard to use words to describe what it feels like to be in Hong Kong and then, you know, gateway to China. I think it's, it, I, I just see myself as, um, as someone that might not understand Chinese culture fully. And on the other way of looking at it, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in European culture either. Um, and the more and more, just to take your question a little bit further, uh, there are many occasions these days when I'm asked to design a, a hotel, let's say a hotel in Kyoto, to celebrate Japanese culture. I've also been asked to do a suite in London about modern Britishness. So just to take your question a lot further is, is maybe because we are in this particular time and place and this uniqueness of a Hong Kong person that people see us as a hybrid of all these things, and we're able to respond and relate and create something from an outsider's perspective, and because we are quite versatile in terms of absorbing and, and reacting, that perhaps, in my case, I am entrusted with these kind of very unusual and unexpected opportunity and I'm given then, and possibly come up with something that, that, that relate to that particular brief. I mean, again, not talking about China, but I remember last year or the year before when I was doing the Kyoto project, I kept asking the team, is this Japanese enough? And they kind of looked at me and said, yeah, it's, it's, it's Japanese, but we don't want it to be completely Japanese. If we wanted Japanese, we would have asked a Japanese designer to do it. So we just want your eyes to, to reimagine um, the story. And I guess I'm doing that now with, let's say, my project in Chengdu. In my whole life, I've only been in Chengdu for 24 hours. I hardly know it. But, but I'm going to start this project without actually physically being in Chengdu. So it's through researching, it's through listening, actually through talking to my friends uh, who have been to Chengdu and lived there and, and try, to, try to captivate that spirit um, in a hotel that I'm going to work on. Does that resonate with either of you, this idea of being a... It is that, the mediator of identities, this kind of channel or lens through which you reinterpret another culture but through your through through this lens um of being a hong konger is that something that you experience you look knowingly when andre said is it japanese enough and you looked <laughs> up and laughed is that something that resonates with you wilson yeah that's true um 
Yeah, because um, we, yeah, just outside the topic, we have also worked with um, some companies from Japan and also from Scandinavia. So yeah, I, I just resonate something. Oh yeah, it's, it's the same case. I guess for, for the term gateway, um, actually I haven't been engaged to do um, projects in China for, for a long time, yeah. Um, but I remember for our experience um, working for uh, China projects. So in the early years, um, we are kind of like a mediator or a bridge to um, introduce something to, to China or to try out something or to experiment something. So it's like a playground for experimentation. So you, you got a lot of interesting ideas and there are people and the workmanship maybe, yeah, to, to execute what, what you provide to them. But nowadays maybe the story has changed a little bit because um, they also have a lot of um, interesting designers and they have a lot of resources. They can do many design, uh, what many designers can do. So actually I guess the word gateway is more, more about um, what is the identity for Hong Kong's designer. So I guess the position has changed. So how can we position ourselves in, in this kind of um, situation nowadays. So maybe it's not us anymore to introduce new concepts, but maybe we need to further discuss, uh, further explore something that we can work together or to provide. Sorry, maybe I'll, I'll, just, I'll just barge in a little bit. Um, I remembered I've sat in quite a few like big panel discussions in, in China uh, and there are questions similar to this, you know, China, um, designers, what, 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 what about this, what about that? And, and typically, I think the mindset between Hong, if we call it Hong Kong designers versus Chin Chinese designers, um, there's, there's, there's still a slight difference in mindset because I think Chinese designers have a very much because maybe their platform, the, the, you know, the country, the perception of the country is a lot bigger. That um, when they talk, uh, now I'm, t I'm not talking about the ones that are educated overseas and went back and all that. But in general, when they talk, they, 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 there's, they usually come up with very big statements. It's all very bold. And, and me kind of sitting there, and I, I remember I responded in such a way that, that you know, like, for me, it's like very organic, like my design is it's organic. I never try to overanalyze it. So the statements that are, or the, the words that comes out of my mouth is, is actually not very powerful compared to some of the other um, mainland Chinese um, designers. But I think that also reflect on the way we are, the, the way we think. Um, it's quite different still. Um, yeah, it's just something that came up. Um, I think for us, uh, Gateway to China can be a very literal and simple concept. So um, when we first started, um, I mean, first of all, I think China is just so fascinating with a well of knowledge and expertise. 
like when we first started, we were very interested in uh, doing product design. So we wanted to explore different materials. Um, we went to Jingdezhen for porcelain, and, and then we went to Yunfu in, uh, for stone. And it's just so amazing how these entire cities dedicate, like they have just such depth of knowledge about one specific material and you can learn so much. And I think Elaine in the audience really feel this as well. Um, yeah, so that's something that, you know, I think we experience. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the, the physical gateway to it. I think in, in China, they do have kind of these whole cities dedicated to specific materials. And, and it's really fascinating because like we would be taking a, a cab from one place from our hotel to a restaurant and the cab driver would tell us everything about porcelain, you know, so the the amount of knowledge and wealth is it's really like a, a gold mine and a, and, a, and a treasure trove if you're able to kind of explore and kind of to, to actually get there to actually open up this kind of this almost gateway in terms of materiality if you really as a product designer you're interested in certain materials i think that literally is the gateway i think another way you think about gateways i think geographically and kind of maybe our our history that I think a lot of us are Western educated um, or, or traveled abroad and came back. I think a lot of the population in Hong Kong also speaks English. And that is really an important bridge, I think, to the Western countries. You know, for example, uh, we're working with collaborators and clients in Europe, for example. And I think that, you know, we speak to them about, like, wh why do you guys want to work with us necessarily? and not, not you know, mainland Chinese designers. And a lot of times they say communication is a barrier. I think they do, for a lot of out Western companies, they do want, they see China as a huge untapped market because there is a growing demand for design in China, but they also don't really know how to enter into China. And so they're really using, you know, I wouldn't say they're using, but they see an advantage in coming to a Hong Kong designer as opposed to a mainland Chinese designer because you could bridge the gap, you know, through through language. It's easier to communicate. But also, I think, with our collaborators, when they're going to China to actually visit their production line, a lot of times, Hong Kong is the gateway because they actually have a layover here or transit here. And that's when we actually have time to actually talk to them and, and kind of brainstorm our, our next project. So a lot of times, I think it is very literal and a symbolic gateway into China. That's a really good um, distinction, the idea of a, a gateway to more resources and to more knowledge, really. Going back to the idea when you both spoke about uh, not having really the words to describe Hong Kong design, or Andre, you said it's difficult to describe in words this time, this place in Hong Kong. Um, I wonder if there's a, how would you describe kind of Hong Kong design? And I, is there a way to use words that you would describe that? Um, and, and if not, is there visual references that you might describe Hong Kong designers, um, does it have to be nostalgic or is there a contemporary aesthetic that you would say we could pinpoint that represents the city? Uh, Wilson, do you want to start? Yeah, I guess I can start because I, I don't have a crew. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, but, but for me, um, what is Hong Kong style is actually, it's not something visual. Yeah, I, I guess you cannot tell from the outlook that 
oh, okay, this is a Hong Kong design. But um, I think um, Hong Kong design or designs uh, by Hong Kong designers is more about the, the methodology, how they execute a design. So, for example, when we look at some um, worldwide recognitions of uh, Hong Kong design, so like transformable furniture, transformable apartments, um, interesting design in such a tiny space, compact apartments, something like that. So actually it's not really about the outlook, but it's about the how you execute the design with uh, like maximize the efficiency or how you can squeeze all the small inches in, in your place. So I'm always thinking, how can people read um, a design that is from Hong Kong? Can, can they see the methodology behind or the concepts behind how they execute the thing? So I guess maybe we can explore on this more. Um, so that's a question that we often ask ourselves. Like what, what is the visual representation of Hong Kong? What is Hong Kong design? And um, I agree with Wilson that you know there is no like very specific visual representation. I mean, Hong Kong is such a melting pot. There is obviously so much beauty in the more iconic Hong Kong elements, like the bamboo scaffoldings, right? But there's also like the very subtle, you know, things like the delicate dance between uh, the concrete jungle and the immersive nature, right? So. I think when you look at Hong Kong design as a whole and you peel back you know, the layers of the onion, a lot of it is inspired by you know, the very DNA and fabric of the city. Um, and to answer your question about nostalgia, um, it's important, I think, and um, it's, it's important to respect um, tradition and to preserve tradition, but we have to do it in a very mindful way that, you know, so like nostalgia doesn't become a cliche. I think when you talk about, I think the nostalgia part, I think it's, it's important not to be, to be regressive. I think a lot of times when you look at nostalgia, it's, you aren't supposed to necessarily replicate that. And I think you're supposed to offer up a new perspective. And I think for us as kind of, you know, designers as a whole, as a kind of collective unit, I think we need to understand our history and our past in order to come up with the vocabularies that actually define what Hong Kong design is. I think right now, I wouldn't say there is a universal kind of identifiable trait to what Hong Kong design actually is. And I think a lot of this is deeply rooted in the kind of East meets West. I think um, being a British colony for such a long time, but it's a Chinese territory. I think Hong Kong designers often see themselves as almost shapeshifters and we can appropriate kind of uh, aspects from different cultures as we see fit to kind of improve or for the betterment of our design. So I think that's why it's very hard and it's very, it, it's very difficult to pinpoint what exactly is Hong Kong design because it's so fluid to us, I think. I mean, most people talk about hotels as uh, a destination that celebrates a sense of place. And in my case, I've had the opportunity to create 
a few hotels in Hong Kong, telling my own Hong Kong story, um, maybe specific more to the neighborhood and specific to the city. Uh, and, and what has been interesting is through each property, I'm able to express a side of Hong Kong that I see. Let's say um, St. Regis, uh, Hong Kong, is, is about my, my memory of, of walking in Wan Chai as a neighborhood and, and do a kind of retelling of that in a more contemporary context. Upper House, for example, is about my life living pretty much in between Central and, and, and Admiralty and Wan Chai and, and it's all the hustle and bustle and, and the antithesis of the city is something that I try to express, this kind of urban escape. So, and, and I am trying to avoid the cliche uh, because I personally see that there is not, there isn't that need to differentiate the East nor the West or the East meeting the West. Um, I love to use the word crossing cultures um, because that's kind of the life that I lead, um, the work that I do. Um, and, and, but coming back to the fact that I have had these opportunity to do these very specific properties in Hong Kong, which will ultimately serve as a gateway uh, for those traveling to Hong Kong, because hotel is typically the first location that you see as, you know, you enter the city with other than the airport. And it's usually the last place that you see before you head off from a city. So I have a role to play in terms of creating that window um, of how people perceive this city that I call home. And I think hotel has this uniqueness in it um, in terms of differentiating and expressing and embracing what the city is. Cliché is a very good word that we can discuss about. So when, when I just look at the illustration by Don Mac, mm -hmm. so it is actually very Hong Kong. So you see the mountains, you see the buildings, you see the signages, and you see the old style Hong Kong uh, um, words and also yeah, the typographies. And then when you look at some of the movies, Hollywood movies, which um, they claim they take place in uh, shooting in Hong Kong, you see every time it's about the monster buildings, the neon signs, so, and then why? <laughs> so so it, it's really about the interpretation of um, a Hong Kong style, mm. yeah. A really interesting distinction to talk about cliches and why we talk about East meets West as one of the first things. Um, because as we know, Hong Kong is a conduit for many other things, old and new, nature and man-made, or high-tech and very low-tech, um, or modern and ancient, built and natural. So that was one thing that I actually wanted to talk about is this idiom of East meets West and whether we think that maybe there's another dichotomy that might be more relevant to describe Hong Kong. Is there, are there other things that we draw on, other kinds of tensions between uh, kind of seemingly contradictory things in the city that, that give us another kind of uh, jumping off point for creative work. You guys spoke about nature and man-made in your interview with Sharon. I think you talked for the, for the designer survey. You spoke about how you're quite inspired um, by nature and man-made and that comes out in your projects as well. 
Can you talk about that? Uh, well, maybe I could address that when we look at the project later. I, I think there's a project share that we're gonna t we're gonna show one project, and I think that might be the best example of how we could best describe the man-made meets nature. So maybe we could talk a little bit about the the idiom East meets West and. And, and what that really means to us. If, if, if anything, does it really mean anything to us, I think. To Andre's point, um, I think that you know, East meets West is, is, is this um, outdated idea of you know, East and, and the West being very distinctive, um, like dis being distinctively different, right? Um, and like we're somehow holding on to this idea of East and West when you know we're living in a time of globalization, um, Hong Kong. I mean, it's such a melting pot, right? So I think, well, I think uh, Design Anthology's first article featuring us was called "Blurring Boundaries," and I think that's a really good way of describing what East meets West is now. It's really there's no boundary where they meet. It's a crossing of cultures. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think to add to your point, I think it is a little bit of a outdated concept and an idea, and it's it is almost cliche. And I think, um, you know, I think that the term East meets West. I, I don't know when this term actually came up, but I assume it was when information takes a long time and information and knowledge takes a long time to actually get to the other side of the world, right? So there's a definitive, this is from the East and this is from the West. But I think if you look at how technology has enabled us to um, get information immediately from you know, what is considered the West. So it's no longer an idea that is just to the West now. I think when you come up with an idea and you put it on Instagram or any social media, when information is shared so rapidly to the other side of the world, you no longer have that boundary anymore. And and that gets away, you know, that's why I think it is a blurring of the boundaries because there no longer is a line that's considered east or west, I think. We're talking about uh, in, inside of you as people, um, these multiple identities and having to kind of traverse multiple cultures and multi multiple reference points um, and this like, this almost like, I wonder, do you feel like you have a fragmented identity or are you comfortable traversing various cultures at any given time or having to reference various uh, design traditions or cultural kind of norms or things like that? Does it feel comfortable or is it something that's more of a challenge? Does it come naturally? It has been a training for so many years to, to live in a place that, um, all kinds of people get around. Um, so I guess this is more about the harmony of uh, contradictions. So I guess uh, the term it's Miss West is not just happening in Hong Kong or, or even in China, but when you look at um, Asian countries. So when, when I look, look at the, the terms in the brief, so um, what, came, what came to my mind is actually a scene from Japan. So when you go to Japan, you, you settle down in a hotel, you turn on the TV, and you saw um, the entertainment programs with foreign people as, uh, as guests or as hosts, but they speak fluent Japanese. So 
that's a very interesting image of um, of a harmony of uh, contradictions. So, <laughs> uh, I guess in Hong Kong maybe uh, we are so get used to the environments. So uh, so many old news, um, uh, the cultures crossing each others. Um, yeah, I I guess <laughs> yeah this is um, how how we brought up. Yeah. In my case, I would say uh, that I've, going back to your last question, I, I've never considered myself as a, as a Hong Kong designer, or I'm just a Hong Kong-based designer. Um, and I talked about it earlier that my typical day now, even within one project, it could be a project in Osaka or, or in Tokyo, the, the client might be based in Hong Kong, actually, um, and uh, the fabricator of the lights could be based in Czech, but the furniture could be made in China. So you are expected to communicate imminently, like, like instantly, with multicultural, um, you know, people of multicultural, cultural background, um, but for the purpose of one thing. And that's the kind of life that, that I lead uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't think I'm trained to do it, but it's just naturally that became the, the, the way things operate. Uh, so, so and, and, and I don't know whether that's more specific to, to us based in here because um, because it's it's normal for us to have, at, at least for me, it's normal to have international projects, international clients, some degree of fabrication in China, some degree of fabrication outside, um, and then dealing with multiple multiple um, consultants and parties that that are solely for the purpose of that particular project. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'd say that that is that is my norm, um, and and whether that def you know that that describe the, the the cultural hub or the then sort of you know crossing cultures in this particular city, I, I I can't quite distinguish, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, I think I resonate with uh, Wilson and Andre's sentiments. Um, crossing cultures is not something, I mean, it's, it's a part of our identity. It's our background, our upbringing, our education. It's a part of us. So it's not something, to answer your question, it's not something, it's not a challenge that we have to force ourselves to overcome. It's, it's just, it comes out naturally, yeah. I guess it's a bit like being multilingual, how you just flow between, and, and it's really quite a, a, makes you quite versatile. Um, what Andre was talking about, about um, going into a hotel and leaving a hotel and how you experience Hong Kong through those kinds of layers of history and character that have been reinterpreted. Um, that's something that is a fuel for creative people, but there's also obviously parts of the city that really inspire you and in that you were talking about walking through Wan Chai and um, your experiences in various parts of the city. Can we talk about what fuels you in the city and, and what kind of practical things where you've get inspiration from in Hong Kong? 
Wilson, in the Studio Culture interview, you and Emily were talking about how you moved down to a lower street level studio because the people in Shenghuan were quite inspiring and there's like makers, but also, you know, uh, the community around you and people you interact with on a daily basis. Do you want to talk about that? Thanks for letting me in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so when we decided to move to the ground floor space, because actually we have been in the Poho, yeah, I, I can say Poho neighborhood for so many years, but we are up the ground. So we saw that there are so many happenings and also a lot of changes. So construction sites every day, all the noise every day. So old people, new people, um, local people, foreign people, tourists, um, not now, yeah. So the mix is very, very interesting. And we, we just really want to like connect to the street level. So we want to actually see people walking by. It's, it's, it's different when you are from, from office or from uh, up, upstairs space, but you are actually sitting on the ground wa watching people um, walking by or even coming into your studio and just to talk or, or to buy something, yeah. So I guess what fills us is um, the energy. And also, um, yeah, I, I guess Hong Kong people is really amazing, the, the efficiency. And also, it's really quick is so fast here. So actually you, you can't really stop. And actually you are watching the street, you see everyone is moving. It just puts you to keep moving. So I guess that's where the field comes from. <laughs> a, a lot of people expect that designers get the inspirations from very sophisticated environments. Um, I mean, most people would expect that I'll be like sitting by a Zen garden and and a and you know very posh hotel in 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 the Riviera on a day-to-day -day basis. But actually, what I find most intriguing is to sit in um, some old Cha uh, Chan Tang in Hong Kong. Um, I think it's the place where the life and the the spirit of the city is is best represented. And and yes, I might be involved in creating very high-end spaces, but ultimately it's, the, the ultimately it's all about creating places for people to be in. And there's nothing more rewarding for me than to see people using the space that I've created to have a good time, to have a great meal. And especially this year, um, to walk into a restaurant that I've designed and, and seeing people being together, I think that magic, that, that joy is, is really the most captivating aspect of what I do. And there's nothing visual about it. It's just about a place simply for people to be together. And coming back to that, then the inspiration is just about living my life in the city and just to observe and to be part of my daily existence in the city. And that will naturally give me inspirations rather than yeah, the grandeur of the posh places. I would like to contradict Wilson's point a little bit. I mean, clearly, like, the energy of the city and the fast pace is, is great. It's amazing. And, you know, it offers us a lot of uh, work opportunities. Um, but there is so much beauty in the stillness amidst the chaos. Um, for example, 
people bird watching um, in the parks for an entire day or some, something we really like to do is um, sit on the tram and watch the city pass us by. Um, we like to advocate for the idea of uh, slow living and slow design and I think it brings um, meaningful relationships between people and the built environment. I think, I think this is maybe especially true in the times of COVID. I think a lot of people are maybe taking this time to reflect and kind of look more introspectively about what they really need and what they really want, I think. And so we do like that kind of, I think as fast paced as it is, we actually do like to slow down a little bit. And I think that's what's really inspiring. I think, like Andre was saying, like Ta Tan Tang, and then we like to take the tram. I think these are all like, and it kind of ties back to the whole like nostalgia thing. I think with, with these kind of elements, I think why we are kind of quite romanticizing with this is because I think through these elements, you are able to kind of time travel. And I remember, you know, my grandmother telling me stories about taking the tram and it was only like 20 cents or something like that. You know, like I think it, these, um, these elements almost act as a, a time machine and, and we enjoy it because it allows us to, you know, it might be normally if we take a cab to, to the office, it would be maybe 15 minutes or, or t 10 minutes even, but then on the tram, it actually takes 40, 45 minutes and, and you really get to appreciate. And I think, I think that this is to maybe, um, Wilson's point. There's a, there's something nice about the, the, voyeurism aspect of sitting on a tram and people watching and you know it, it is kind of uh you know it, it it's it's a little it's a strange feeling because people are just going about their day and they don't know that they're being watched but there's something quite you know romantic about that you know um, it's just like with social media like how many people are actually you know you would have taken a photo of this space and you know you guys won't know that you're actually in my post that kind of thing is I think quite interesting to me. <laughs> I'm I'm not very creepy to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> Thank you for that um, really nice and considered answer. Uh, I agree that slow living is something that we should all try to do more of. And lastly, um, on that note of inspiration, can you each talk us through a project or a product that? was the result, or you could say, was directly influenced by Hong Kong. Um, we've got it in order, actually. So, Wilson, we'll start with you to talk about okay. a project. Okay, so, um, yeah, uh, we are glad to share with you our recent design for Louis Vuitton. It's actually a margin sense. So, um, actually, it's a really small-scale project, but when you stack it up and place on the table, actually it becomes an architecture. So there are modules and also there is a repeatness that, that draws you in into the design. So actually for, for our inspiration, is, um, it's actually very simple. We want to like infuse the brand's identity. So it's actually their motifs. And inside the architectural language, so yeah, when you see the curves, actually it's all transformed from their floral, uh, floral motifs. So we use different materials and combines and do a lot of research and studies and mock-ups and it becomes the outcome. So actually it's, it's quite interesting. It's like adults playing Lego on table, but 
with money or without money. <laughs> yeah. It's very beautiful. Congratulations. Um, it's quite a milestone project. Andre, yeah. would you share with us? It's a project uh, that was launched a, a, a month ago um, called Astro. Uh, it's an Italian restaurant. Um, I have the pleasure of working with um, Antimo Di More, uh, chef, uh, Italian chef. And um, probably 10 out of 10 people that went to the restaurant says it's not very Andre, um, which is what I wanted. <laughs> I think in 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 this particular year, uh, it's such a it's such a joy to be able to visit a, a site, um, to actually walk into a, a space that that I can physically touch and and look at prototypes and proportions and everything. and And I wanted this, perhaps this represent my view of Hong Kong, because we are living here, but but equally we're able to respond and relate and create things that are a little bit outside of the Hong Kong bracket. And, and this for me is, is inspired by a, a traditional salotto um, in Napoli. Um, so those really old drawing rooms. And I was thinking of my memories of visiting places by Ponti and, and Le Muro, it's a little bit of Jean Couture, uh, Couture. So and, and every piece of furniture and lighting is a little bit more whimsical than anything that I've done before. But that is very much the spirit that I want to bring into the project. And that's very much my response to the city, the fact that it can be very innovative, it can, be, it can offer a point of view that is not about the everyday, but something that's different. And perhaps that's my response to, to the city that, that I live in. Vincent Elaine. I think this, this to me is maybe our most Hong Kong project. I think this is where we talk about answering your question earlier about the man-made and the kind of natural element and how they're intertwined quite nicely. I think when you think about Hong Kong, you think about these high-rises even behind us, you know, tall towers, and you never, even though 70% of Hong Kong is covered by kind of wilderness and, and, and kind of these forestries and you never actually get to experience what it's like to um, have it, or, or, or we've never had such an unusual site where the apartment actually looks out onto a tree line. So for this specific project, we really wanted to bring the outdoor in, right? Like, um, so it really becomes the intertwining of the man-made and the natural. So even the client themselves were very, they, they love plants, and so you could see how the project itself is populated with a lot of greenery, even books about green. And so it really is living with nature. I think, you know, I think a lot of times, especially during COVID now, you know, you live in the city, but then, you know, within a, a 20, 30-minute drive, you're up on some mountain doing a hike. And I think that's what we really wanted to bring into this project. So when you're sitting in the study, for example, you look out and you're almost immersed in nature, which is maybe less so of an idea that you would think you'd get, I think, in Hong Kong. I think we want to really utilize this specific site. And I think this site is really the definition of what kind of when you see, you know, like Don Max in uh, illustration, you see buildings and you see mountains. And I think this is really kind of the coming together of everything in one image or in one project. Um, also, the clients themselves is, is a British uh, a, a British husband and a Japanese wife. And I, so I, I think you know, that is a melting pot, and, and the, everything is kind of 
all cultures are kind of blended within one project, I think. And to add to Vince's point about, you know, bringing nature in, um, how we did that was, you know, the windows were originally very small, so we had to open up all the windows. And um, the use of material, like natural materials, like wood and rattan and, you know, very neutral colors um, is how we try to achieve that. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, d I did want to add, you know, the casement windows... Um, they were also inspired by, you know, those old traditional Hong Kong windows that you'd see, you know, in the marketplace. And so the client really wanted to bring that aspect back into it. Um, and this is maybe more about the space-saving aspect of, I think, when, when um, Wilson talked about the idea of what is Hong Kong design. I think, you know, it needs to be space-efficient as well. So we created these two pods um, that were kind of, uh, adjacent to each other, allowing privacy, but a little bit of space saving as well. So I think I would say this project encapsulate a lot of what we feel Hong Kong design is to us, I think. We actually featured that home in the previous issue of Design Anthology, um, and it, it's really special. And I had the opportunity to visit Estro with Andre, and he showed me around, um, and I wrote about it on our website, if you're interested. But um, yeah, it's also just a really... Um, interesting melting part of all of your references and I think when you speak about Hong Kong being this mediator of identities Estro for me is one example of that because you've really taken Chef Antimo's um, ideas and your own ideas of Italy but also kind of who you are as a designer from Hong Kong working in Hong Kong so it's a, it's a really nice um, emblematic project I think and of course your mahjong set is just amazing um, so before we end we've got the chance to have a few questions um, if anyone would like to ask any of our panelists something. So Dan, just to paraphrase, has asked, how do you appro uh, appropriate, <laughs> how do you approach the, or navigate the lines between inspiration and reference and appropriation? In my case, uh, I, I don't really think about it. Um, I think uh, it all comes quite naturally, just through, it's, it's all a feeling. It's. It. I think um, once you start to talk to the client, once you've seen the space, um, uh, once you have, especially in my case, uh, I tend to work with people with quite. Uh, most of them have quite a personality, um, and especially chefs. If we're talking about restaurants and and the, the and the more. Um, prominent the chef are, the, the, the more interesting it is to actually talk to them and to understand them. Um, in the past year, I've actually worked with two chefs. Uh, one is called Daniel Kovat. Um, I think he used to cook at Belong in Hong Kong, and now he has a restaurant in Tokyo that I created for him. And then at the same time with Antimo, with this Italian restaurant in, 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 in Hong Kong. And what is interesting is I think at the end result, Cezanne is in, in Tokyo is a very restrained, a very, very refined yet quiet restaurant, and I think it truly reflects, in my view, who Daniel is. Whereas Astro is a very eclectic, expressive, slightly romantic venue, and it truly reflects who Antimo is. So, so I think it, it's more building on that relationship than than deep drawing a line between what is appropriate and what is exactly an inspiration. 
I think if you're respectful of the culture, when you put your own spin to it, and it's done in a positive light, um, it's more often than not, you know, it's not going to be appropriation. Yeah. It's really about the designer's interpretation of, of the thing, because there is always no true answer or model answer for how you adapt to that kind of culture or style. So for example, if you look at two different Japanese, maybe they have different interpretations for their own country's style too. So yeah, I guess uh, the word respect is very important. So you really need to give your respect before you interpret in your own way, so um, yeah. What aspect, I'll give you some time to think. <laughs> what aspect of a project makes it a favorite project to work on? What are some of the criteria, I guess? Well, I think it's quite hard to put into words what makes something your favorite project. I mean, it's about the process. Did you enjoy doing it? Is it different? Um, it was it a bit of a challenge, but not too much of a challenge, you know? Um, is the outcome something you're happy with? I mean, it's, it's a very general feeling, I think. Yeah, I think to add to that, it's not necessarily the tangible. It's not after you photograph the project. Does it look beautiful? Does it get published? Does it get recognition? I think it's some of the intangible things that make the project very rewarding. I think it's a lot of times the connection that you have with the client and how the entire process actually was because you could have a beautiful, beautiful project and the client could be a headache to work with and that would actually make the project feel less of what it really is. I think you could have a really small, small home which could be you know three, 400 square feet but you had an excellent working relationship with the client and that, you know, I think we get a lot of our projects through word of mouth. We don't really do a lot of PR. And I think that is actually the most rewarding when somebody reaches out to us and said, you know, client A recommended you for this project. Would you be interested? I think that is actually the true kind of stamp of that you did a good job. When someone that you worked for or that you did something for approves of what you've done for them and actually recommends you to somebody else, I think. I think maybe to put it simple, um, when the project approaches you, the instant feeling that you have or the concept you, wa you want to apply, and then a few months later, you look at the outcome, you see it has been applied. So I guess this is it. Yeah. I think it's, um, for me now, it's harder and harder to distinguish which project is my favorite. I think each project represents the time that, it, you know, that chapter in my career. Um, say, say, um, say, say, like, let, let's say the Louis Vuitton, that, that chair um, that I did um, for Object Nomad. Um, my memory is still that 24 hours that I flew to Paris and I went into the the head office of Vuitton, and they built a one-to-one -one mock up of that chair sitting in that office and I was with Natalie Fremont who, who who overlooks all the store designs as well as object nomad and we were discussing and then and the, the fact that they told me that 
after working on this chair for 24 months with 30 different options and that prototype and having two guys from Milan that flew in to analyze how difficult it is to make that chair as well as having that chair 3D scanned, they have to present it to the chairman <laughs> to approve it to be part of that scheme. And that for me is, is, is the moment for the chair. It's not like it's been still be like being exhibited all over the place. Like Upper House is obviously a, a, a unique chapter of its own. Um, but yeah, there's no favorite. It's just, it's just the, the memory that I have in each and every one of them. Great. Well, I think we should wrap up for today then. Um, thank you all for your time and your insights. This was really valuable. And I think I speak for everyone when I say that it was quite inspiring. And it's given me something to think about when I go out onto the streets of Hong Kong and new things to look at, I think. So thank you very much. Thank you.